This is a previously recorded episode. You're listening to the Innovates podcast featuring speaker and innovation expert Michael Mode. We bring you innovation on the 8th with new episodes posted every day that ends in 8, the 8th, 18th, and 28th of the month. The Innovates podcast is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. For more information about Michael Mode and his corporate speaking and consulting services, please visit innovates.com. That's I N N O V E I G H T S.com or biglightbulb.com. And now, get ready for another creative conversation with your host, Michael Mode. Welcome to another episode of Innovates. My name is Michael Mode, and my guest today is the VP of Innovation for Worthington Industries in Columbus, Ohio. Worthington is the second largest processor of steel. Only the auto industry processes more. They have 10,000 employees at 80 facilities in 11 countries. Last year, they did $3.4 billion in sales. Now, prior to that, my guest spent 20 years leading product innovation at Procter & Gamble where he uh, worked on major brands such as Tide, Swiffer, Charmin, and Pampers, just to name a few. And uh, he also led the reinvention of P&G's packaging process, which was the largest manufacturing process shift in P&G history. I'd like to uh, welcome to the Innovates podcast uh, a great guy and a friend of mine and just a very innovative person, Mr. Michael Liu. How are you doing, Michael? Good yourself. I'm doing great, very great well. Great to be on the show. Oh, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk with us. So uh, we met, uh, geez, it has to be about six years ago now. I was trying to think about it. You were the co-director of the Clay Street Project at uh, P&G. And uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that project. Sure. You know, the, the Clay Street Project was an innovation think tank for the company. And it was a, our mission, I was a co-director with David Keeler, and our mission was to prove to the company you could have design-led innovation. Um, PMG has a his, historically has always been R&D and marketing-led. Right. And this was an opportunity to show what design could bring to, 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 to the business. And one of the real opportunities that we had was, how do we create an innovative process that was based off of some work that had been done at Mattel Toys? Um, and that's where David came from, stuff. right? That is correct. Mm-hmm. David came from uh, Mattel Toys, and had started something called the Platypus Project, which had been written up in Harvard Business Review, and with with Ivy Ross. And one of the real opportunities was changing the, the way people work. And you know, by doing that, they created these amazing teams. It was primarily focused on design at that time. And when David came over to P and G, it became more more of a study in multifunctional teams. And creating these amazing teams, and, and you know, one of the real lessons from that for me was that everyone is innovative, right? And how do you get everyone to innovate? You know, in a lot of companies, and PG included, it was kind of viewed as the domain of R and D to innovate. And marketing might innovate in their own world of commercial innovation, which is you know, all about marketing. But what we found was, whether you're finance or HR, everyone can be innovative. And it was a way of expressing it and, and creating the conditions where people could express their creativity. Now, one of the ways that you would get people to start thinking, because you would bring in people from different areas of the company. They weren't necessarily designers or uh, you know, engineers. You would bring people from finance and all different areas to help solve a problem that P&G was working on. 
And you would bring in different speakers uh, the first week to kind of get them thinking in a different way. And that's how we met because you brought me in to uh, talk with your group, several several different groups. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to – it was very fun. And I would talk about how to think like a magician and, and get people thinking outside the box. How did that relate to what you were doing? Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because the first couple of weeks we will actually bring in um, some amazing speakers, and it's actually it takes about takes us about two months to plan and design a session for a really difficult problem, and we would typically take on problems that the company had been struggling to solve, and sometimes up to five, ten, twenty years they have been able to solve these problems, and so. Part of it is the innovative thinking. How do you inspire a, a multifunctional group of people to solve an incredibly difficult problem? And our small team at Clay Street would bring together, we would brainstorm around what the problem really was. And we would use analogies, we would use all sorts of other techniques to come up with similar type problems in other industries and, and really come up with what we call a uh, programming sphere trying to come up with a way of thinking about the problem that will stretch the team's thinking around how to solve it. Because frankly, the first ideas people come up with are all the ideas we've always come up with. They're the obvious ones. They're the ones that have been kicked around for 20 years, but no one, nothing's ever happened to it because it's, it's not sufficient. And so what we really had to do was stretch their thinking to a point where they will they will push the edges of what's out there. And, and we have to create the environment so that they are stretching the edges of what's possible. And in doing so, we push way out with some of the techniques that you teach the team. It then allows them to play some reality on it. And by putting the reality with the, the great imagination that we forced them into, then you start to come up with these breakthrough ideas that people just never dreamed of before. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of fun down there. It was, it was, there were always fun groups that we worked with, and uh, yeah, very you were, you were by far the favorite. Oh, that's very <laughs> I, kind of you to say. I ain't saying that, but it was you know, entertaining, but also truly inspiring to all the people that we would bring in, and they would be raving about your uh, talk for the next year. Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. And and I would talk. You know, one of the stories that that you know because I, I gave the presentation there several times was that the first PNG. Uh, product development lab was created, I think it was back in the 50s, by two brothers who were uh, builders. They built ventriloquist dummies and they built magic props. And they were the guys, the McElroy brothers, George and Glenn, and they started the uh, the lab there at P&G. And then they went on to create the band roll-on deodorant device and uh, the, the machine to insert Pringles into the can. They designed Mr. Clean. They de- developed the head and shoulders bottle. So, you know, it is it does go hand in hand with that, uh, you know, thinking differently and thinking like a magician and, and working it. So, yeah, we, we had a lot of fun. Now, you, you brought up the environment, creating that environment. And uh, over the years, we've become friends. And, you know, we started almost instantly. We, I called you like a, a client friend. And I've switched that over the years to a friend client because I put the friend first. Because that's what you've become. But I, I think that all the people that work with you, uh, whenever I went to a group that you were working with, it seems like everyone is comfortable. Everyone is friendly. How important is it to create an environment that's a positive environment uh, that leads to ideas? Is that important? Hugely important. In fact, we, we, we 
program our sessions around that. In fact, as, you know, as an innovation thought um, think tank, our thinking wasn't so much around the innovation, oddly enough. We actually focused on the team because our philosophy was if you create a great team, the innovation is a byproduct of it. So when we, when we look at a great team, the, the idea of safety in the room is actually hugely important. We actually yeah, big. put a lot of thought into creating that safety so that you could express yourself, express your creativity, and really go out there, stretch yourself out there, and some, frankly, some really wild ideas. And in doing so, you really need safety in the room. The team numbers, numbers all had to feel like they could say anything, do anything, and it was okay mm-hmm. in that room yeah. because it wouldn't go anywhere further. And in doing that, it's um, we actually worked with a woman by the name of Makara Meredith, uh, and we would talk about the limbic system. And really, when you don't have that safety, your brain kicks into fight or flight. And that limbic brain is what filters everything that gets your neocortex, which is where all your, your big strategic thinking occurs. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if your limbic brain is in fight or flight mode, it doesn't send any signals up to your neocortex. So in doing that, we had to create the conditions where we knew safety was going to be primary so that way your brain can relax, your limbic brain can relax, you could be in what we call relation with other members of your team. And when that happens, then amazing things could happen to the team. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot with groups that I work with is that at first they're hesitant to uh, talk about new ideas or you know, give suggestions because they, they might feel embarrassed, especially if they're around their peer group. But then once you get them out of that comfort zone and when they're re- – you know, out of their comfort zone thinking, but then you, they're relaxed, boy, the ideas just start flowing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and it, when I would facilitate these sessions and create, help create these teams, one of the important things for me was role modeling. Just some of the stupid ideas I would generate to make it safe for everyone else to come up with a good idea, mm-hmm. to, to, to go crazy out there. And so I, I was famous for my leech, genetically modified leech ideas. <laughs> I would throw out something that that was just crazy, like a genetically modified crap leech that would put on the baby's butt and eat poop. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, that was a crazy idea, but what would happen is it made it both safe for everyone else yeah. to throw out the crazy idea too. Well, that's the whole goal of brainstorming is to come up with these wild ideas. And some of them are going to be ridiculous and uh, and stupid, but then you're going to get the really good ideas. You know, I think the, the way to get Absolutely. a good idea is to get a lot of ideas and, th- and then go from there and select them. Now, you were you know, getting... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, one of, the, one of the interesting things about that is when the team first shows up, everyone's got ideas, right? And so if they come in, they're like, well, I want to share my ideas. Well, that's great. So one of the things we've learned over the years was you have to let them empty the vessel. Mm-hmm which means let them spill their guts out on the first ideas because the first round of ideas are going to be what you expect. And and they're usually the ideas that people have been kicking around and can't get any traction on. And they're usually not sufficient. So you have to let them get those out. That way they can then be open to new ideas. 
Yeah. Now, you've worked on a lot of uh, different products and led a bunch of different teams to solve problems. Do you have a standard strategy? You know, we've talked about the speakers that you brought in and get them thinking, and, and yeah. it might take them a couple weeks or a couple months to start thinking differently. But do you have a, a, a strategy uh, that you use with new groups? Yeah, you know, I think I think it's about forming the team and, and choosing the right team members. You know, I've often said that a bunch of superstars, all your A players on the team, actually isn't very interesting. Mm-hmm. I believe that innovation is a team sport and not an individual sport. And so it's like watching the NBA All-Star Game where it's a bunch of guys just dunking the ball. Yeah, it's great to see for the first five minutes, but after half an hour, it gets kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And it's not actually a very fun game to watch. And I think that what my experience has been that when you, when you have a, a team of very competent people who formed together create a team bigger than what the individuals are, that's where really amazing things happen. And what I love is when you form that team, they can do some amazing things that, that leaves people stunned and shocked mm-hmm. that they could do so much in just a short period of time. Now, when you're forming that team, I know you would bring people from different parts of the company, and a lot of times these people didn't even know each other until they got together in this group. What do you look for when you're creating that team? You know, there's a certain amount of openness, and we're also looking for char- – we, we interview all the, all the team members, and we're actually looking for characteristics that are archetypical, and the thinking is we want to create – what we call a whole brain, where each person within the team has the diversity of thinking, the diversity of personality to create a holistic brain mm-hmm. so we can look at the problem from all different angles and you know, it, it is diversity of thought. And so we get, you know, as, a, as an extreme example, I would love to get someone who is a fundamentalist Christian and an atheist in the room together. Yeah and talking about religion and actually listening to each other. <laughs> and if you can get those two extremes together and create the right conditions, then they, they can actually learn from each other and build something great. That's interesting, yeah. Because they're both bringing different viewpoints to the table, but then it's that synergy that they can, if they work together uh, and keep an open mind, then they're going to start producing new ideas. Because you know, creativity, as I've said, is just, it's just about combining things. And the more things you're curious about the more options you have. So you're picking people with a lot of different backgrounds and different options that you bring together and you get that synergy going, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think you hit on a key word, which is openness. Mm-hmm. You have to look at people and say, are they, can we get them open? Some people you can't, and, and that's okay. They might have to, be able to contribute very well within the company itself, but on the team sport that we do for innovation, they're not really good participants. It's hard to have that kind of person in the room. And so, you know, as far as the strategy goes, when we're interviewing, we're we're clearly looking for people who are open and willing to explore and and challenge themselves into new spaces that might make them uncomfortable. Yeah. Now, you've been at Worthington for how many years now? Uh, About three years now. About three years. And Worthington, talk a little bit about the products that you guys do, because you're in pretty much every major market. Second largest yeah, processor you know, of steel. We are. In fact, is, uh, the majority of the cars in the U.S. have some of our steels, and we're in it. <laughs> but wow. no one ever knows it. Um, we also make <laughs> they do now. cylinders. 
I'm sorry, what was that? I said they do now. They do now, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, we can also make industrial cylinders, um, high-pressure cylinders from like the 20-pound propane tank you might use for your grill to scuba tanks to uh, crowd, large cryogenic tanks that you might see in, on ships to store uh, liquid natural gas. Mm-hmm. Um, we also make engineered cabs for Caterpillar, John Deere, JLG, people like that, um, for their you know, land movers, backhoes, whatever. Um, we also have a joint venture with uh, Armstrong making the grid for uh, drop ceilings. I read this on the website that last year alone, uh, Worthington uh, produced for Armstrong 1 billion linear feet of ceiling grid, which is enough to circle the globe eight times. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. It, it is pretty amazing um, how large that business is. It's a really quiet business, and you, know, you don't really think about the grid in your ceiling mm-hmm. yet. It, it's a. It's actually a very large business. So people people uh, encounter products that are manufactured by Worthington every day, but they just they probably don't know it, right? Yeah, yeah. oftentimes we we have a couple of branded products that uh, consumers actually might purchase, like Burnsomatic um, torches you might use for a sweating pipe. Um, we also make uh, balloon time, which is uh, at home helium, so you can have your mm-hmm. birthday party yeah. and have helium balloons at home. So we make that. And uh, we also make all the 16-ounce little green canisters you might use for camping for Coleman. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. Now, um, you're the the VP of of innovation there, so you lead a team, and you've been innovating all kinds of things for Worthington. I I noticed that more and more companies are creating teams that are devoted specifically to innovation. How important is innovation to a company these days? I think it's my opinion. Of course, I'm a little biased. I think it's hugely important for the company because if you don't innovate, then you quickly become a commoditized product mm-hmm. and your margins go down. So innovation is what keeps you in the higher margin products, higher margin opportunities. It doesn't have to be a product, it could be a service. Um, but looking at those things, I think for a company to be successful, they really have to have a strong innovation team. And the reason I say innovation team by itself is the entire company has to be innovative over time um, for small incremental innovations. But if, if you... Where I've seen companies fail is when they try to have the people who are in charge of their day-to-day business and try to do innovation at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. what ultimately happens is a crisis happens in the business and that becomes the number one priority, and it should be. So the innovation goes to the back burner, and they miss schedule after schedule after schedule because there's always another fire that occurs within the business. Sure. Some other, something they have to jump through hoops for. And so it's by having a separate innovation team that they can truly focus on it and, and drive it to market. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got your, uh, your master's in industrial design, but you also have a degree in engineering. How important is design in innovation? Well, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it was the harsh transition I ever had to make going from engineering to design school. Um, I, after my master's in, uh, in engineering, you know, engineers are taught there is a solution to something. You optimize it, you figure out where the bell point, bell curve is, where the top of the curve is, and that's your optimal point you want to get to. What I had to learn for design was there could be a thousand right answers, and they're all right. 
<laughs> and it was a really hard thing for me to learn. But once I learned that, it was really interesting because it, it, it forced me to be able to see the problem in multiple different directions. That there wasn't just one right answer. There could be a thousand right answers. Mm-hmm. And that flexibility of thinking, um, painful as it was, has served me well over the last 20, 20 some odd years. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's so many design elements that most people don't even think about. You know, I remember when I was working on a new magic uh, trick and I needed some white sponge and I asked you about it and uh, because of your background in the cosmetics industry and uh, with P&G and everything and, uh, and you said, well, what, what color white do you want? And uh, it was either – because there's, there's different – in Europe versus America, there's different perceptions of what white is, right? That's correct. So, you know, in, in the U.S., we tend to think of a clean white as being a blue white. Mm-hmm. And in Europe, it tends to be a yellow white is what's considered clean looking. So that, that's kind of where the question came from. I was like, no, it depends on what country you're talking about. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, and then after after you mentioned that to me, I started looking around and I started noticing that. But, you know, here in, in you know, I would always think, yeah, yellow, you know, yellow sponge is a little bit dirty. But uh, that a little bit of a hint of blue in there and it seems cleaner. It seems more sterile, I guess. It does. It does. And that's, you know, I, I've got that having been born in the U.S., that is the same perception I have too, which is like, oh, if it's a little bit yellow, white. Dirty a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I, uh, we're almost out of time here, but um, we could talk for hours about this, and I'll, I'll have you back on the show. But is there a product or a project that you're most proud of? You know, it, it, it's interesting. I've worked on a lot of different things. I think I'm less proud of the things I've done, but more of the teams I've created, I've helped create. I think when I look at the teams that we've that I have formed at Clay Street, it was amazing. And it wasn't for me here at Worthington, too. I'm most proud of how the team members pulled together and created something amazing for themselves and seeing that moment. You know, one of the most um, inspiring things for me at the end of one of our Clay Street sessions, it happened to me a couple of times, is that a team member come up to me after everything was said and done and they had a great innovation and they would say to me, you know, I forgot how smart I was. Wow. And for me, it was like, I'm done. That was it. <laughs> that, that, that made it for me. How rewarding is that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that just goes to show how, uh, you know, how unselfish you are and uh, what a great guy you are great guy you are because you let your team members shine and you bring out the best in them. You're, you're kind of like a coach of innovation, I would say. And uh, you're not selfish. You don't take the ideas for yourself, but you, uh, you bring the team together, you inspire them. And, uh, and, you, and because of that, you've created a bunch of great products and a bunch of innovations. And uh, that's why you're successful. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, coming on the show. And, and again, we'll have you on again soon. But uh, really appreciate you taking the time, Michael. Okay, cool, Michael. Talk to you later. Well, that was Michael Liu from Worthington Industries. He's the VP of Innovation. And uh, this was another episode of Innovates. Until next time, stay curious. 
Thanks for listening to the Innovates podcast featuring speaker and innovation expert, Michael Mode. Make sure to check back on the 8th. We will post new episodes of Innovates on the 8th, 18th, and 28th of the month. The Innovates podcast is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. For more information about Michael Mode and his corporate speaking and consulting services, please visit Innovates.com. That's I-N-N-O-V-E-I-G-H-T-S.com or BigLightBulb.com. This is a previously recorded episode